I read a story this week um, about a a mother who had had one of those no good, rotten, horrendous, horribly horrific days, um, and she at the end of the day had gone into a convenience store to pick up a few a few items, and something had gone wrong, and she was a little bit frustrated, and. She for, sorry, I had a brain malfunction. I realized right during the prayer, I was like, oh, man, Tim, don't forget to bring this thing with you. And it just was hitting me. Oh, Tim, you forgot to bring this thing. So anyway, let me get back on track. So on, on this day, she had forgotten something had gone wrong. Something had gone wrong, and... If you would get me started on my first slide, that'd be great. Um, and she was frustrated with the service. As the um, event was progressing, a, a young gentleman came in, looked like a kid to her, came in and was like, can I help you? Now, this young gentleman actually worked there and was there just trying to help, could see that the, the cashier needed help. And he walks in and was like, can I help you? And she's like, no, I need to speak to the manager. And he's like, well, ma'am, I work here. I am, I am actually a manager. And she turns around and sees him. She's like, no, I need to speak to the manager. So still in an effort to help, he goes back to uh, the employee break room where he keeps his shirt. He puts on his shirt and goes out and says, ma'am, I understand you want to speak to the manager. And she turns around and sees him. And the words that were starting to come out of her mouth just stopped. And she looked and said, no. I'm never coming back here again. I don't want to talk to you. I don't believe you're the manager. And she stormed out, vowing to never come back to that store again. Now, I think that is an interesting story. A lot of, a lot of things at play. But... What I think stood out to me the most was that the expectations of who she was looking for were not met in that young gentleman. I often wonder, do we have unmet expectations? Do people not meet our expectations? Does Jesus not often meet our expectations. And today we're going to look at a story as we continue through the book of Matthew. Chapter 11, the scene switches. We've been going through Matthew 10 where the, the 72 were sent out and they were, you know, they were equipped and all of that. And they go out and they talked about the good gifts of that, the, the cup of cold water and uh, what we talked about last week. But then Verse uh, chapter 11 comes along, and we get to the story of John the Baptist. John the Baptist has been off the scene for a little bit, but he comes back into the story of Jesus, and we find him in prison. So I invite you, if you have your Bibles, please open them to the book of uh, Matthew chapter 11, or you can follow along on the screen or open a device, whatever it might be. I invite you to do that and join me as we kind of go through this story and look at what was going on in John's life. So the Bible says in 
Matthew chapter 11. This starts with verse 2. It says, And when John heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? There is a lot in that verse right there, I think. There is a lot of emotion and frustration. And I want to take a moment just to try and set that up to remind us of who John the Baptist is. So we want to remember John the Baptist, his story actually starts before Jesus. Maybe four or five months or so before Jesus, six months. Somewhere in there, there's a prophecy about John coming. And John the Baptist is actually Jesus's cousin. We all remember the story. Mary goes to see Elizabeth, and then she comes there. She's got baby Jesus in her womb, and John is also in the womb. And I, the Bible talks about John, like, weeping or doing something in the womb. I can't imagine um, what that would be like or feel like. And praise God, um, you know what, I don't have to find out. I'm okay with that. Um, so I feel like I have enough things jumping in me, and I don't have any tilting going on. So anyway, um, but Jesus is John's cousin. And so John is like prophesied, his dad can't speak and all of that stuff. And so John is this like guy who has been conceived and is born with a purpose. I mean, I sometimes wish my purpose had been laid out quite that clearly. But John's purpose has been laid out. His life goes on. We all know he preaches. He, he comes out. He's the prophet. He's in the desert wearing the camel clothes and all of that stuff. And eventually he gets himself in prison. Now, later in the book of Matthew, it kind of tells us why he was in prison. And he was in prison for calling out uh, King Herod for marrying this is where it gets a little weird, marrying his brother-in-law, his brother-in-law's wife. So it would be his sister-in-law, which I think was actually also some other relative, like a cousin or something like that. Anyway, that's just how it was. But so he's in prison because John the Baptist had one thing. There was one thing about John the Baptist. He called out what he saw. He called out things that he saw and had no filter. Had no filter. We've all met people like that who have no filter. John the Baptist had no filter. All right? And so here he is in prison. He's had no filter. He's preached his message, which we're going to talk about here in a second. But he's in prison, and he's feeling abandoned and confused. Because what he expected Jesus to be wasn't quite turning out the way it was. The Bible said is in the verse we read, he sent two disciples. So that means people were visiting him in prison. Now, we can see from this, this verse that John is feeling a little bit discouraged. We can, we can tell that he is, he is, doubt has crept in. And maybe it's not absolute doubt. We could, we could argue about that later. But it's, it's something that's crept in where he's not feeling encouraged. And he sends out two disciples. And I just want to unpack that for a second. Read into the white space of the Bible around that to just say he had visitors in prison. But what were those visitors actually doing for him? 
Why wasn't he receiving encouragement from them? Were they speaking into him like just speaking in doubt or discouragement or, man, we're following you. Why are you in prison? Jesus has said he's coming to free people. You're his cousin, dude. Why aren't you being free? Friends, just pause a moment and let that sink in and ask ourselves, one, who are our friends and are they speaking good or are they speaking doubt into us? Two, what kind of friends are we? Are we speaking encouragement into people or are we speaking doubt and frustration, speaking ignorance or just whatever it is what kind of friends are we being because john the baptist was struggling at this point and his friends his disciples could have been helping them out but maybe they were like we chose your team over jesus's and man this has got to get better why isn't it getting better and doubt had crept in to john now it's here that i want to take a moment to just unpack his message to just truly understand how this doubt could creep in because from a man prophesied about um, by birth, his birth was prophesied. He was a prophet. He did all these great things. Why did he struggle? So let's just take a moment to look at his message. So this is from earlier in Matthew. And I love Matthew's version of John's sermon out in the desert. John, John's version is real nice in the Gospel of John, but I, I just like this one. It starts, brood of vipers. I mean, come on, this man is standing on the corner, preaching a sermon, doesn't care what's going on. Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath? Bear fruits worthy of repentance. The axe is laid to the root of the tree. I mean, this is, this is intense stuff right here. You know, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. You know, man, mm, he who's coming after me is greater than I. I mean, this is a message of power, of conviction. You don't say these words if you're kind of wishy-washy. You only say these words when you've got some place to stand and you know what's going on. His winnowing fan. Now, I don't really know what that is, but, you know, they used it to blow the chaff away from the wheat. But anyway, his winnowing fan is in his hand. I think that sounds more intense, like maybe his blowtorch or his... You know, jetpack leaf blower is in his hand. I don't know. Whatever works for us today. Um, he's thoroughly cleaning out the threshing floor and gather the wheat into the barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquestionable fire. Mm. I mean, man, this man knows what he's talking about. He has a belief. He is preaching his message. It is a message of judgment and action. Okay? I mean, you hear it here. The axe. The winnowing fan. Jesus has come and he's going to clear things up and this mess that we're in is going to be taken care of and you all, if you don't come to our team, are going to burn. Alright? Simple. Judgment and action. And again, he carries on the theme that we've been talking about that we've seen in Matthew. We talked a lot about the kingdom of God and you know his other message. Repent. Turn around. Come to our side. Come to the side of Jesus. Come to the side that does not have unquenchable fire. Okay? If nothing's going to convince you to come, unquestionable fire should. Please come, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I think here we run into 
John's expectations. We want to look at that. He was expecting judgment. The Messiah that he was looking for was going to set them free, was going to come in and bring judgment. His message wasn't wrong, but I don't think that it was complete. He was looking for judgment of those who had put him into prison. Why am I here? Why haven't I been freed? Because come on, I am a relative. He's, he's looking for judgment of those who had brought suffering into his life, who had come out and ridiculed him and come out and given him grief and all of that. He was looking for judgment on those who didn't repent. He was looking for judgment. There is a lesson to be learned in, John, in John's expectations. And that is the difference between expectation and expectancy. Expectation is good things filtered through our desires. When I come home from work, I expect dinner to be on the table. Okay? That is a good thing. Filtered. Hold on, ladies. Now, I can only say this because my wife is about three and a half hours away from here, so the stones won't quite make it to me. But anyway, just hang on. That is a good thing. All right, well, I will disconnect the Internet. All right. Um, that is a good thing. Filtered through my desires. Okay? That is an expectation. We can have lots of other expectations in life. You know, when we fill in the blank of whatever it might be, an expectation that we, we have that we want to get met, it can be a very good thing. I expect to come to church, and I expect to meet Jesus. I expect to be blessed by the music. I expect to be blessed by the speaker. I expect to meet God. Those are all good things. But are they being filtered through our desires? Expectancy. Oh, sorry, one more, one more point. Um, ex expectation is fitting Jesus into our box. Expectation is coming and saying, this is what I need from God. This is the message I need to hear. This is what I'm hoping for. And we're trying to fit Jesus into our box. The disciples, classically, John the Baptist, here we see it, always are trying to fit the Messiah, the Savior, the Redeemer, into their box of their culture and the box of what they want to experience right then, missing the whole grand point of what God was coming to do. The infinite works that God wanted to do, they were trying to cram into a little box. Expectancy is looking for good things. Back to my dangerous illustration, you know, of expecting dinner to be on the table when I get home. I can come into the house with that expectation, or I can come into the house with expectancy. Looking for a good thing. And that good thing could be whatever it might be. 
It could be that dinner's almost ready. It could be that dinner's nowhere near ready. But my wife is home, and it's an amazing time, and we get to reconnect and talk about our days. It could be that my wife is not home because she's out doing a million other things because she's crazy like that, okay? And just y'all hang on because she's about to get 60% more efficient um, here in a few months. I'll have to talk about that later, but just trust me. She's about to get way more energized, and I don't know what's going to happen in my life when that happens. Pray for me. I can walk in expecting all those things, or I can walk in with expectancy, seeing that nothing's been done, and I could turn around and say, you know what, I'm looking for a good thing. I'm looking for a meal on the table. Let me step up and do this. I can come in and look for good things, whatever it might be. I can come into church with the expectancy that I will meet Jesus, not knowing how it's going to happen or what it's going to be through. It could be the speaker that day. It could be the music that day. It could be a friend that I haven't seen in a while. It could be those things. When we come to Jesus with expectancy, we will never be let down. The Bible talks about expecting the good things of God. It talks about expecting, you know, his, his coming, expecting him to work in our lives. And if we come with the expectation of what that's going to look like, we often will be disappointed. But if we come with expectancy of what that will be, not knowing what it will look like, it allows us to be fit into the will of God. Expectancy is allowing Jesus to fit us, to stretch us, to mold us into his will, into the box that he's created for us, into the place that he has in our lives. Expectancy allows us to come and see what's going to happen, get the good things of God without the expectation, without our desires being filtered through that. Expectancy removes the desires of us from the will of God. That's a powerful thing. That is a powerful thing to understand and to grasp and to know and to ask ourselves, how are we, how am I coming to God with expectancy, with expectation. How can I come to him with expectancy? Not knowing what's going to happen, but just knowing it's going to be good. Knowing that it's going to be awesome and knowing that it's going to be in his way. The disciples, John, all of these people in the time of Jesus, they had just put aside their expectations of what the Messiah should be and looked at what the Messiah was. Man, I just, I wonder how the church could have gotten started then. Man, just think about that. How could we, as we walk into Jesus, as we walk in to meet Jesus in church, as we, as we walk into all the spaces in our lives, how can we walk in with expectancy, looking for God to work something that's going to be a miracle, walking into a conflict, a, 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 an encounter, a, a conversation that you don't want to have with expectancy, waiting to see how Jesus is going to work in a place where you can't even see Jesus. Because the Bible tells us that in the places that we don't want to be, in those conflicts, that Jesus is there. I'm skipping ahead in the book of Matthew real fast. Chapter 18, 
the two or three are gathered verse is not meant for prayer meetings. It's not meant for the Bible study that only one person showed up to. Well, friend, Jesus is here because two or three are gathered. No. If you read the context of that verse, and I will preach this sermon again because this is one of my soapboxes. You can't see the box because it's still up here, but I still have a box. It's in the field. Jesus is there in the midst of the conflicts, the conversations we don't want to have, where two or three are gathered to deal with that, even in the things where we don't want to, don't think Jesus would have a part of, the Bible is telling us that where two or three are gathered in that, in Jesus' name, then he is there. Our expectations, our expectancy is often limited by our expectations. And I think that is what John was experiencing. His doubt was brought on by unmet expectations. Verse 4. Jesus answered and said to them, to John's disciples, go and tell John the things which you see, hear, and see. What an amazing answer. What an amazing response from Jesus. Because here is the man who baptized Jesus, questioning, are you the one or are we supposed to look for somebody else? And Jesus sends back the answer, tell him what you hear and see. What's interesting is that word, what, that some, tra- some translations have there, um, tell him what you see, hear and see, is kind of translated a little better in, in the New King James or some of these other versions where it says the things, because the what is not just like a singular, it's like actually a what plural. It's the things, it's the multiple things. And so he tells the disciples, you guys just watch, and then you go tell them what you see. In the answer, John is being encouraged to trust. To trust Jesus and not be discouraged by the incomplete expectations of the Messiah. In this answer, Jesus is saying, listen. Let go of your expectations and see what's going on. Don't listen to my sermons. Look at what I'm doing. Tell them what you see. It it goes on in verses probably 5, 6, and 7 to talk about the things that they saw. The blind receiving their sight, the lame being able to walk, the deaf being able to hear, the dumb being able to speak, the dead coming back to life. Tell them about these things that you see. The answer, Jesus' response is also with compassion and not condemnation. I think this is a very important point to realize because I often feel and wonder if John the Baptist, the man who I've talked about, the man who saw the heavens opened up, 
and the Holy Spirit descend on Jesus. I don't measure up to that and he still has doubts I kind of think that Jesus could have come at him with a little bit of a like what you talking about Willis you know what what is going on you've seen these things get it together man you're on my team and if you can't support me it's going to cause problems could have come at John with condemnation and saying, you are not supporting the cause. But Jesus does not respond with condemnation. There's another story in the Bible about another interaction with someone on kind of the opposite scale. Not a prophet, not someone who's been out preaching, but the adulterer. That day where she's dragged in before the crowd. That day when Jesus kneels down and begins to write in the sand. Quietly placing out all the reasons that these men don't have any justification to be there accusing her of this crime. But I want to focus a smidge on her, remembering that this story is about Jesus. I think oftentimes when I read this story, I want to read into this woman the role of a victim. Now, I mean, yes, I think she was victimized that day. But do not read that she maybe didn't make some choices in her life that led her to a point of being in, in this job of doing what she was doing. Because it's not about her. Do not think I'm speaking down about her and why she ended up there, because however it is, it doesn't matter. What I am speaking to is to that wonderful response of Jesus, where he stands up and responds to this woman who is the epitome of what sin was, who is in this, in this situation of just rebellion and bad choice after bad choice after bad choice. Into that woman, Jesus speaks. Woman, where are your accusers? I don't see them, Lord. They're not here. There's no one left to condemn you. Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Hear this, a prophet. A prophet who has experienced Jesus, who has been with Jesus, who has preached is having doubts, and Jesus does not speak condemnation into that situation. At no point is John ridiculed for his doubts as he is stuck in prison. This woman, at no point 
has she done almost anything right in her life. She is in this state of living a life of sin and is the ultimate, I mean, just opposite of our prophet. Is someone who we think, you know what, she should be stuck in jail for a few weeks to cool off and kind of force her to get her life back together. We think that. But even in both extremes, there is no condemnation given by Jesus. In our doubts, in our unmet expectations that lead us into these places of confusion, Jesus will not meet us with condemnation. Man, that is powerful. Because I know when I look at my life, hold my life up and I judge it by my standards of how I have failed. But I have to trust that Jesus means what he says. That the Bible means what it says. Romans 8, 1. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is now no condemnation. And so when we find ourselves in prison or in prison, when we find ourselves doubting or just not caring, know that the answer from Jesus is never going to be condemnation. When we turn to him and say, Jesus, are you the one that can save me? Jesus looks out and says, yes, just watch, listen, see what it is that I do. There is no condemnation. What are you carrying today? that brings with it the weight of doubt or disappointment? What expectations have not been met in your life? Expectations of what a family would look like. Expectations of what school is going to be like. Of hoping to get to this other school, but your parents won't let you get there. Or hoping to get into the best college, but they won't let you in there because... You made a mistake on a math test once. What expectations haven't been met? What expectations of God haven't been met in your life? Have you come to church today? Maybe for the last time, if God doesn't do something. Man, if that's you, I pray... Leave here expecting that something will happen. Don't leave here saying, God, it has to be this. Maybe, maybe you find yourself just coming to church with no real expectations or expectancy. Man, know that Jesus is here to meet with us today. Maybe you've come with expectations about what a friend or a spouse supposed to be in your life and you've been let down man know that Jesus is there 
know the expectancy of meeting Jesus in that place. I'm going to kind of steal the thunder of Pastor Walt and Pastor Marlene as they preach through chapter 11 because I want to jump to the end of this chapter real quick. Because in the end of this chapter, that pretty much has Jesus talking about John going through his answer, then turning around and defending John. We haven't even gotten to that, and we're not going to today. But Jesus stands up and defends John to the people who maybe were like, whoa, John's doubting? Jesus stands up and defends them. And then gives a message just like John would have preached. Woe to these unrepentant cities. But then at the end, the invitation, come to me. All ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Whatever expectations that we maybe have had unmet, the invitation is still to come. Come with expectancy, knowing that Jesus will will take care of our labor, will remove the burdens in our life. Come unto me is the invitation. What is our expectancy of that invitation? I pray that we will expect that we will meet Jesus and we will be blown away by what he does. So Jesus, right now we come to you. We want to come to you at this moment with expectancy, with hope-filled expectation of what you're going to do in our life. So Lord, however I've put you in a box, however we have defined how you need to respond in our lives, Lord, I pray that you would ignore that, that you would still just come and mold us into what you want us to be. We thank you for stories like the woman, like John, that remind us that you do not speak condemnation unto us, but that you have come to save us and take us home with you. And for that reason, Lord, we just bless your name and say, praise God from whom all blessings flow. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.